I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Pamela. She's a comedian and has Tourette's. Let's talk about it. Well, fellas, uh, we're sitting down with our new friend Pamela Schuler from... New York. New York. New York. And uh, I, I'm so sorry. Fuck. Um, Pamela is uh, Pamela's a comedian, uh, a storyteller. Um, uh, but the most important part here that relates to our show is that Pamela has a life history dealing with things like Tourette's and OCD. And, uh, and also just kind of like really owning the fact that she's a person that lives with a disability, which is right up our alley. Um, Pamela, I, I'm going to throw the mic to you. Please give yourself a nice little warm introduction to the three of us, but also to our listeners. Give us a little bit mm. of insight into, uh, into who you are. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm so excited to be here. Um, and I'm, I'm at some point in my life going to need to pet both of those dogs now that I've <laughs> seen them. So I'll start with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm Pamela Schuler. I... Wish I could say what I did in like one word, but uh, in a short blurb, I'm a comedian, speaker, and disability advocate. And I have Tourette syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder, and I'm four foot six and a half. You're like, oh my God, she's a triple Whoa. threat. I know. <laughs> I am aware. Uh, and I travel and work with like companies and colleges and high schools and middle schools. And I do, I kind of combine comedy and storytelling to talk about mm. like loving what makes you you. I love that. I, I have to. I have to ask right off the top. Um, I, know, with, I know what you're going to with everything going oh, okay. to like virtual during COVID, yeah, yeah, and no people uh, like people seeing you on a screen um, and mentioning that you're four foot six. Did mm. did like mm-hmm. when you showed up places in person after meeting someone virtually? Did you ever get any reactions where people were surprised? Oh, all the time. People thought I was kidding. Um, (laughs) There was a lot of like people being like, oh, in real life, that is different than we expected. Yeah, yeah, because I'm right like right here. You cannot tell that Mm -hmm. I'm sit like Mm -hmm. I'm four foot six and a half. Uh, oh yeah, I had every reaction in the book, but I do normally. And like, you I gotta add York the State. half at your yeah, height. You gotta yeah, add the half. Yeah. Every every bit matters. That's that's yeah. great. My mother yeah. is four ten and a half, and I know mm. that the half matters. <laughs> is she feisty? Is she feisty as well? Oh, she is. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I feel like the shorter you are, the more you've got. You're proven something to the universe. It is a linear. Definitely. It's a linear scale. I mean, like I mean, not feistiness that, goes up in direct proportion. Not that loudness. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was going oh, yeah. <laughs> to say not that I would know anything about being short because it might look like I'm about five seven and a half on the screen here, but I'm actually six three. Wow. Really? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. No. Absolutely not. But we did have a conversation. We actually, we actually, we 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 used to we used to run these things with our Patreon, our Patreon uh, members where we would do a Patreon hangout with yeah. them like uh, once a week, and. This guy that was on all of them 
Darren, our buddy, our, our buddy Darren. Yeah. And um, I, w- I didn't want to out Darren. Uh, I didn't want to. Oh, out him, out him. That that freak of nature. We got to out. We got to <laughs> out him. That, that handsome bassoon player. <laughs> so you're sitting there, and it's like you're what you're on Zoom, and you go, "Oh, okay." Darren's like Darren's. Darren's my height. I'm five eight, five nine. I'm like you're you're my height. We go and we go to, we go to do this live show, and in the city where Darren lives, and, and he comes to the show. And I was he's like, seven foot eleven. I'm like, he's the guy is like six eight, and he's Actually. standing beside me in line. And I'm going, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't tell who he was because you didn't want to crane your neck so far yeah. that you'd like kink it by but looking I can't up even into see his your face that, beautiful, that high up there, striking eyes. As a performer, like my height matters. Like if totally. I go somewhere to perform and there's no stage, I joke that if you're past the second row. You're just operating on faith alone that I'm in person. <laughs> yeah. It's a podcast. They're like, wow, this wall is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Pam, um, I, I'm dying to know about your about your your history and your experience in in dealing with things like OCD and Tourette's. Um uh what what would you what did, what to what does OCD, what did what do Tourette's like? What does that fall under? I, I feel like I wouldn't call it a disease, right? You would call like what would you call it? A, a condition or or a or a, how do you how do you categorize? Um, so, I think the beautiful thing about all of this is that we each get to decide like what what are the what are the labels we like and yeah. we own, and what are the things that like don't feel right. And so it's changed over time. Um, my OCD I consider a mental health challenge, and my Tourette's I consider a disability. Um, although it affects me in different ways all of the time, it's always yeah. kind of shifting how it affects me. But you know, starting in like undergrad and I've like, I love school at this point. I've got a master's in advocacy. I'm constantly thinking about going back for even more. Um, but at school, someone connected me to the disability community. And I realized like that community is empowering and amazing and fun. Um, and so it is meaningful and powerful for me to like identify as a part of it. Mm -hmm. Cool. I love that. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm curious about like when, well, I guess first of all, when did when did the you know the diagnosis or the you know when did you identify like oh, okay I'm I am dealing with something like OCD or I'm dealing with something like Tourette's uh, was that a particular point in your life that you can kind of pinpoint and think yeah there was you know there was this one there was this one period in time where it all kind of clicked and it made sense and you started to think about what is life going to look like or how does this sort of relate to who I am. I think it happened like over time. I and I think like at each point in my life, I was de- like dealing with a different piece of it. Um, I did a show yesterday, and and I talked about how like I didn't just go from hating Tourette's to loving Tourette's. This was like a journey over time. Um, stand up helped. I think like stand up. You know, I realized oh, my brain works differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is wildly inappropriate and quirky and snarky. And um, but I think of like there were times in my life that if you asked me what I wanted to be five years from now, I would have said five years older, and I probably would have called like called you an asshole. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it was. It's just I went. I talk openly about being incredibly suicidal as a kid mm. and struggling and really feeling like my presence took away from the world. And I went on this kind of journey to come back from that. Mm-hmm. What does, um, what does your, I know you actually, well, I know you said it, it shifts and, and changes, but like, I guess it, when, when it did um, sort of start to show itself or maybe when it became a diagnosis, like how did Tourette show up in your life? Because I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a pop culture understanding and, yeah. and, by, and, and maybe understanding is certainly the wrong word, a pop culture idea of what Tourette's looks like because it's, uh-huh. you know, it's depicted and displayed in movies as this like 
sort of very narrow thing. But there's like the stereotype yeah. of yeah. Tourette's. Yeah, like right. the fuck shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Like, you know, we and we've spoken. We've spoken with multiple people with with Tourette's, and we know that it shows up differently. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is in yeah. that in that form, but um, I like yeah. I like to say I do yell cuss words, just not from Tourette's. I do that for fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's just I, me. <laughs> I got shipped away to like weird kid boarding school, which I loved at like artsy weird kid boarding school in Burlington, Vermont, which is hippy dippy and wonderful. Oh, yeah. And I remember at one point I like yelled the F bomb and one of the teachers was like, was that Tourette's? And I was like, no, I like decided to say it and then felt like yelling it to give it the full effect. I, like, oh there. man. It was oh. in the truth. Of but you've got the card. You've got, you can play the card at yeah. any moment. God bless you for just you being up front honest right <laughs> i i think by that point i like had so much detention it was easier to just be yeah. honest um so my Tourette's is always shifting what's funny is right now you probably aren't seeing it much there's a few reasons for that one there's a dog i'm looking at and dogs calm me down Whoa, if they are my therapy oh, um, cool. but also i have like days where Tourette's is very noticeable days where it's not um you know that most people with Tourette's don't yell words or phrases. And mm-hmm. as a kid, I was the one that did. Out of every like five people with Tourette's, only one has an additional diagnosis of words or phrases or repeating things. And through my ad- adolescence, I was doing that. But the way Tourette's affected me more was that my intense, repetitive movements and noises were often aggressive and like hard on my body. So Ooh, I, as a kid, threw my neck back so hard I broke my own neck. I tense oh, wow. my stomach muscles so hard I ruptured my own appendix. Uh, a few months ago, I had like a bad Tourette's few weeks and I ticked my hand so hard my pinky came out of the socket. So, Oh, oh my God. It's okay. We put it right back in. Um, yeah. I'm friends with the doctor. It worked out beautifully. But <laughs> that was a great investment in my time. Um, <laughs> So for me, I think like I don't yell words anymore. I kind of did phase out of that as Tourette's shifts, but uh, I still make noises. I still hiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still bark. Um, I have great stories online about like the owner of my building thinking I got a dog because I bark mm-hmm. at night. Um, <laughs> like in your sleep, like it's like a it's like a sleep thing. Or no, just, it's just like, like I'm getting tired. I, yeah, as the as the moon goes down or the moon comes yeah. up, the barking but starts. My, like a, like my a neurologist. It's like what? Yeah, yeah. My neurologist yeah. was like, "Does it hurt?" And I was like, "What mm-hmm. do you mean?" He was like, "When you bark, does it hurt?" And I finally was like, only when I'm really excited because it's the mailman. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm I'm curious about that, like like that that barking at nighttime. Is that something that like when you do it, you are like, oh shit, I I just barked, or or is it just like it's something that's so second nature that you're just like, oh, I Ooh. don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. I notice it. Uh, some yeah. of my ticks I don't notice. Like I I might feel them, but I do it so much that I almost like tune it out. Right. right. Barking, I notice it. I hear it. If anyone's with me, it is a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, but also like. I don't know, try it before you go to bed tonight. Like yeah. it feels better than it's like a little bit of a release. Mm. Um, totally. Yeah. I like at one point when I was younger, I like I'd take friends with me to like when I worked at a summer camp, we'd go bark in the freezer together. And like mm. I was the only one needing to do it, but it felt good for all <laughs> yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, might as well invite everybody else. That's, that's really so wonderful. I do I do this, um I have ADHD and I do the ADHD sigh, which is like mm. you've been like holding this tension all day, you're all stressed out, you haven't drank any water, and then like there's this moment where you just have this and everything feels better. And I feel like barking is similar to that. And maybe now I'll start barking instead. Yeah, I please. Just, please just like, and do it and then message me and tell me if, and like, <laughs> if, if you live in a little apartment, like I do in New York, find a field, <laughs> go somewhere outside, do a little barking. I, I, I'd love to know like the, the sort of like intersections between Tourette's and OCD, because I feel like there's, 
even though they are separate, it it seems like they must. If if you are dealing with both, they, it seems like they must kind of interact or oh, or like yeah. build off one another. Um, maybe you can like give us a, a bit of an overhead view of what you what OCD is to you, and how does that sort of interact with your Tourette's, or how has it over the you know over the span of your life? So a lot of people with Tourette's, Tourette's is like an umbrella disorder. So a lot of us have like a grab bag of fun of other mm-hmm. things that go along with it. Um, and for me, it's OCD and uh, and anxiety, um, which is, you know, part of OCD, I think. But um, OCD, anxiety, Tourette's are, is my like trifecta of fun. Um, and at any given time in my life, one of the two is running the show. Um, but I believe that they are best friends and they work together beautifully um, I have jokes about how Tourette's and OCD work together beautifully. I have a joke about like, and this is a true story as well. Uh, I was like coming back from Penn Station. Or I was coming back from a show and I was at New York Penn Station alone at two o'clock in the morning. Have you all been to New York Penn Station? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so- I don't know. Have we been to Penn Station? Yep. I have, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I have. I feel like yes. you don't remember. It's <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you don't want to make eye contact with anyone at any o'clock in the day at New York Penn Station. And I was alone at like three o'clock in the morning coming back from like a show in Jersey. Mm-hmm. And I accidentally made eye contact with a gentleman. And because I have Tourette's, I winked at him. Oh. He started like walking towards me. Oh, and then no. OCD kicked in. And I winked at him 44 more times. And I watched him <laughs> turn around and walk away. The perfect defense. I was like, like, OCD for the assist. Oh, my God. You're like, oh, shit, my Tourette's made him think that I was attracted to him. Quick, OCD, Uh. make him think I'm crazy. Like, what's what's the opposite of a wingman that I needed in that exact situation? That is is so fucking perfect. I love that. Um, I, I know that, uh, you know, one of the things that you, that you enjoy kind of speaking to is something that, that actually we, we've, we've found to be quite fascinating and we've dived into quite a lot. Um, not long ago we had a, we had a couple of women on the show and they are the founders of a dating app called Dateability. And they're trying to get it launched. You know, I mean, it's it's up, it's running. They're based out of Denver. Um, I think it's going like well, but they're trying to like spread the word. Uh, and the whole idea of the app is that it is a place for people who have disabilities to find love. It's you know, it's like Tinder for people that have disabilities or people who are who maybe don't have a disability or and are completely cool with the idea of maybe finding love in someone who is struggling with this a disability. Um, and so after that conversation, we became really fascinated in like exploring people's experience in dating when it comes to living with illness or living with disability, because it became very evident to us that that for, for a lot of people, it's really fucking hard, you know, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's like, especially when it comes to like disclosing what you're, what you're dealing with, you know, what, what, what's the timing, when, when's the right time, when's the wrong time, those types of things. Um, what has your experience been like in the dating scene especially in New York, which I feel like is kind of like, I mean, us oh. Canadians up here, we always romanticize New York and dating. Taylor's currently watching Sex in the City as, as we are speaking. For the, right for now. the third time in my third life. Third time. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so, so what has beautiful. dating been like for you living with a disability? And, and like, you know, has it, has it helped? Has it hindered? Is it something that you've struggled with? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to say I have headphones on, so and I my, my tick right now is hissing, so I'm sorry if I hiss directly into all of your ears. <laughs> um, 
I'm not hitting on you. You'll know if I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'll blink once. Uh. Yeah. Just, <laughs> if you think I so many times, by the way, people have been like, I saw you wink at me after I got off stage. And I was like, but did you listen to me? Because I literally talked about having trust. Um, so, yeah. Right. By the way, also winking at men has come in helpful, even when I've done it accidentally every now and again. But um, dating. Okay. So... I've said this before, but I think the journey to love Tourette's was different than as a different timeline than the journey to love Tourette's and dating. Mm. I think that took a little bit longer. I definitely was a late bloomer in relationships and dating. Uh, I think in my early 20s, I really thought like disability took me out of the dating pool. Mm. Um, And it was probably mid to late 20s. And I'm in my 30s at this point, Um, some point in my mid to late um anyway uh <laughs> i think to mid i don't know early maybe. um somewhere i could be 64 i could be 12 no one really knows it's a spectrum it's a spectrum it's, we're I'm all on so, it somewhere you know I'm somewhere on there but uh i think it was like later than i wish i'd realized that like everybody has something everybody has something that feels scary to disclose or messy or overwhelming or that we're learning to love about ourselves. And once mm. I realized that, I was like, oh, okay. Like if like if a dude doesn't like me because I'm twitchy, like at best, he's not my match. And at worst, he's kind of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Um, but I, I think there's also this belief that people with disabilities only date other people with disabilities. Yeah. And uh, I date a smorgasbord of men. So... <laughs> as like like if they have a disability okay but that's not like part of my criteria that they do or don't mm. um my criteria is like pretty simple it's commitment to the bit uh right like i like i want laughter and um i need a dude who like can can play it back mm. um and I, it's like i speak in sarcasm so someone who understands sarcasm uh like but if they have a disability okay if they don't okay um mm. it's not necessarily anything I worry about in dating, mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Is your opening line when you go on a date uh, to just ask them what's wrong with them? Ooh, no, but I'm going to start doing that right now. <laughs> what's the thing that you absolutely don't want to disclose to me? That'd be a good opening. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. yeah. I want to, like, can you please give me your Uber score and what's on your private tab on your phone? Thank yeah. you. We'll start yeah. there. Yeah. And, your and, Uber and, score. Yeah. And if you want to include your darkest secret as well, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, we I feel like this, those uh, two things cover both of those things. Yeah. We're they really do. They really do. One of our yeah. friends has like this funny. 3.7, you go, oh, nothing. One of our best <laughs> friends has this funny question that he likes to ask when he's in like a, a group of new friends. Um, yeah, yeah. And and there's like a, a a lull in the conversation. He'll just go. So, what's the what's the worst thing you've ever done? <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly and enough, people just go. Well, I guess I'll just tell everybody right now. <laughs> the worst thing really I've funny. ever done. His intention is to I, not ever tell the worst thing. He ever I always did. just laugh. Hysterically, whenever I know, whenever Colin does that, it's yeah. that would be greatest. that would be a great one on a date though. Like I, I do feel like that would be a. That is so disarming and hilarious to just ask on a first date. Like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Oh, man. And it, I feel like if I was on a first date, if I was in the dating pool now and I asked that question and they just went, they were like, fuck yeah, I'll tell you. I'd be like, all right, okay, I, guess cool. we're, I guess we're in love. And, like, we're, and, we're, I, and we're going up from here. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. The worst thing I've ever done is ask you to marry me on date one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if like I, I was having this thought as you when you said when you said that you felt like disability um, kind of took you out of the dating pool and everything. It kind of made me think about how like when 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 we I don't know when we transition from like 12, 13, 14 years old, we kind of like get into our adolescence and things change and we have we start you know exploring sexuality and dating and all this stuff. And then, and so there's like, everybody's, everybody's sort of starting from this sort of similar starting point in terms of age, but then you also then have a, a whole gigantic swath of people who are dealing with a disability of some kind. Like, do you think that it is inevitable for that, for that to be delayed, for relationships and sexuality to maybe be delayed huh. when you're living with a disability? Or is it like, or is it something that could be um, like better, I don't know, integrated or understood from like a societal level? Or is it just kind of like 14, 15 year olds suck? That makes it really <laughs> hard. And, you know, you kind of, it, it just, it just delays the process. I don't think it's inevitable. I think some people are fine. Like it's, was, it's not a huge part of their life or um, it doesn't feel like a defining factor. Uh, I mean, I think I was a kid that was like barking though and yelling words like that was mm. a defining factor for me. Mm. Um, so for me, it delayed everything. Like you just said, we're all dating at 12, 13. I, I wasn't, I was, I was weird. I was that weird kid at boarding school. Um, I loved it. That was weird. Um, so no, I think for some people it's like, isn't a factor. Mm. I, I, I'm kind of curious uh, to know, you know, uh, someone who like someone who identifies as a late bloomer kind of came into the dating field a little bit, maybe perhaps later in life, but also with like your your disability sort of uh, influencing your thoughts and feelings about dating. Um, the choice to the choice to partake in a dating show on Netflix um, <laughs> is a really interesting one from that from that perspective. Uh, Thank I you guess for saying I, interesting and not unhinged. No, no, not, yeah. <laughs> unhinged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, for people who don't know, let the guys know about uh, about the dating show that you you took part in, and what was that experience like? You know, like was that again? You know, reality TV is for people who 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 don't know. A lot of times, reality TV is far from reality at all. Um, but uh, you know, give us give us your experience there, and 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 let us know about that uh, that whole part of your life. Yeah. Uh, so I filmed one episode of Jewish matchmaking on Netflix. Um, and I, I did not seek out to be on a dating reality TV show. I have a lot of jokes right now about <laughs> that entire experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but the matchmaker saw my show in LA, my like comedy and storytelling with a message. And, um, I remember she's like seven years ago, she saw me perform and she ran up to me and was like, can I match you? And I was like, no, but good talk. <laughs> and years later, she reached out again and was like, now are you dating? And I was like, yeah, now I'm dating. And uh, she said, could we maybe talk about me matching you? And could we maybe talk about it doing it on TV? Mm. Um, <laughs> and that was like, a by then I was dating and I was, you know, happy to have those conversations. I think in the end, I did it for a real reason of like, I loved this idea that for months I was intentional about what I was looking for. Mm. I have been choosing my, I love, I do date. I have fun dating. I keep accidentally dating comedians, which is like a really bad life decision. Yeah. I say that knowing full well I am one. Um, 
but it was really helpful to be like, um, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? To, intentional, to be really intentional about what am I looking for? What does dating look like for me? Um, did I hope that I'd like find love on the show? Sure, but I knew statistically that was really unlikely. Right, right. <laughs> I think it was more about like, getting to think about that and like take some time out of my life and focus on it. Um, yeah, it was Ooh. fun. And I love this idea of like, you don't see, I mean, we do see disability dating, but it's literally, uh, um, the one about dating on the spectrum, yeah. um, on Netflix and, mm -hmm. uh, dating with down syndrome on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And like, there's nothing about just like being a human who also has a disability that is a part of their life who is dating like any other human. Mm -hmm. um, and so I liked the idea of getting to getting to see that. I'm, I'm not a big uh, reality TV guy, um, so I, I haven't watched uh, Jewish matchmaking. But just yeah, just that's to, weird. to to to, to <laughs> why give, Brian to, to, to give us a bit of a <laughs> it feels like it should have been top of your radar. <laughs> I know I'm gonna go home and watch it now, but uh, but I'm I'm just curious what's the basic premise of the show. Um, so I'm only in episode eight. So like, I get it if you just skip to that one, but go ahead and do that. I um, probably will. Thank you. Uh, so the premise is it's, so it's made by the same team as Indian matchmaker. And that was a huge hit on Netflix. And it's a Jewish matchmaker who is matching Jewish single, singles and like, um, trying to find us love. I was not like one of the, the leads. Um, so I went on a date with someone who was being matched through the matchmaker um, at that time I was, oh, I still, I tour a lot and there wasn't capacity for me to stop touring and mm -hmm. focus on that. Um, so I was able to do a weekend. I flew out to Chicago and went on a date. And so they put me on a date with a, with a fella named Stuart, um, and flew me out to Chicago and I got to hang out for a weekend and do that. I mean, like, to be honest with you, you know, as, as someone who, again, like I said earlier, like, like your, your sort of like background and experience with dating has has evolved over time and and it started off like a, you know from a, like a rocky perspective or, or you know a point of of just feeling like unsure of where you how that fits into your life to do something like that is is like you know it's it's a great way to just throw yourself into the fire and go let's like it's like it's like a it's like an awesome i feel like it'd be an awesome sort of like training exercise, you know, just, I'm just going, yeah. I'm going to like, just go into this fully. And it, because who the fuck is having the experience of going on a first date, being flown to another city to go on this like date with someone that you've been, you know, matched with to see what happened. I mean, that's just a, that's such a unique and fun and kind of out there experience that is going to kind of, uh, it'll have some sort of effect on the way that you approach dating from, here on out, I'm sure, which is really cool. You know, I think it's a really. And then neat by thing. comparison, it's like, I mean, other like dating must just just must be so much easier and less complicated than, yeah, right. than being flown yeah. and <laughs> cameras. That's the problem as a performer, cameras make me more comfortable, yeah, which is how totally. I know I right. probably need 20 more years of therapy. But <laughs> I like there was a level of like, oh, dating still scares me, but cameras, I know, mm. like mm. that world. And so it actually like people keep asking me, did you feel like you were authentic? Because it's hard to like walk into a first date with cameras. And the yeah. answer is, yeah, because the cameras didn't like those I'm used to. So mm. I was like, it's the date that's scary. And that's what like mm -hmm. any nerves you saw were because of the date, not because of the cameras. Mm. Mm. I'm, I'm curious about um, comedy for you. Mm -hmm. What Like when when did you start to gain an interest in comedy as a profession? 
So as a profession took longer because I thought it was going to just be a hobby because that's what the every parent and world and uncle and right. aunt and everyone <laughs> in your world is like, don't, please like, don't go into this. Um, but at boarding school, weird kid boarding school, I was such an asshole. And they forced me to write like letters of apology to everyone I was an asshole to. And they must have realized the letters were really funny because they gifted me back. They gifted them all back to me when I graduated. And there are <laughs> zero, like... No, no real apology letters, all hilarious. Um, and then it was also at boarding school. And I tell the story on stage kind of in my like keynote one woman show. Um, there was a day where they realized I had nothing about myself that I loved. And I think for so many years, I was like diving deeper into depression and boarding school was one that kind of caught on to it. And so they were, they decided to put me on a journey to like find parts of myself I loved. And they were the ones that put me in stand-up comedy. Um, and so in boarding school, it was like a hobby. Like I'd go do, you know, bar shows and a staff member would have to hold my hand and walk me on the stage and then walk me right mm -hmm. out. Um, in college, I started opening for the bigger name comedians that came through and some of them were great to me. And like on winter break from undergrad, I took the train from the Midwest to New York and couch surfed for two weeks and just did shows. <laughs> cool. Um, and then it was like kind of some of those comics that had I'd opened for them, uh, like got me spots in New York and were introducing me to people. And um, it wasn't until though I started combining comedy with storytelling that I was able to turn it into a living. Mm -hmm. It sounds um, it sounds a bit like a like a risk to for like the boarding school to sort of direct you into stand up comedy only because like I think of that from the perspective of I understand the therapeutic aspect of it. Um, but also a lot of comedy can be, you know, self-deprecating, which mm -hmm. you like, I, I, I kind of think like, oh, do, are you running the risk at that point of like, you know, amplifying some of those, you know, negative self-talk or, or negative thoughts that you might have? I feel like, yeah, that was probably risky for them, but I think they were at the point of like, let's give her something creative to hold on to. They mm -hmm. knew I was snarky. That was just who I was. Like I was snarky and inappropriate and funny. And so I think it was more about channeling it. Mm. Um, and I remember like having coffee with my like advisor at boarding school, who was my English teacher, who I adored. And I like a, another advisor who was a writer who still is this incredible writer and I, I don't remember which one I was talking to, but I remember having a conversation of like, what does it look like to celebrate who you are on stage and not like punch down at yourself? Um, mm -hmm. And you hear this term in comedy of like, don't punch down. You know, if mm -hmm. you make fun of the system, not like one person, um, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but mm -hmm. you just don't mm -hmm. punch down. You don't make fun of a, a group that's struggling. It, it kind of seems it kind of seems like that, like the same way that you were intentional about dating, thinking about it leading into the, the matchmaking show. Um, it's almost like you're being more intentional about the way that you think about yourself and those things when you start to write um, from a comedic perspective. Does that like, does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. But please know, I still also punched down and made fun of myself and was <laughs> said, yeah. I still write, like I still am sometimes not so kind to myself. I'm always working on that. Mm. Um, and I also crossed lines and, mm. you know, I, we, we, comedians get canceled because of something they did 15 years ago. And I feel like, oh my gosh, if you find jokes I did in college yeah. when I was yeah. like just trying to find the line, I stepped over it. Like I mm -hmm. jumped over it. I did filthy jokes about sex and like, um, and they're tasteful. I mean, I, well, I still do filthy jokes about sex, but I think now <laughs> I found my voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's really so yeah, like, yeah. I love that you're, I love that you're, that your school um, took that initiative. Like, 
I I see where you're coming from with that, Bri. I also went to a boarding school and like I <gasps> found that Where was your boarding school? Uh in Massachusetts, like just um like just uh, north of Boston. And um and I found that he says boarding school. He was actually sent to like a correctional facility because he was. <laughs> Hell yeah. 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 yeah! I mean, but anyway, I mean, yeah. I just, I just found like there was this idea in my head of like what boarding school was. I was going there to play hockey, and I got there and was like, "Oh shit! You guys are just totally funneling me into finding out what I'm good at, what I yeah. love to do, and like wanted to amplify that with like." small classrooms and all this stuff. Like I, I was really blown away by that experience because I had this idea of what it was in my head, which did not match the reality of it. And I was so like, I just found that everyone was, it was like such a supportive place to be. So we say um, this all the time. Yeah. Taylor, Taylor went there as a bully and came back as a more, um, the thoughtful young gentleman. Yeah. He yeah. was yeah. not a bully. Oh. Yeah. It wasn't a bully though. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I definitely yeah. came back changed, but that's, wasn't what a bully, a bully. that's what a bully, yeah. bully would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do you feel like though, sometimes we label kids bullies and they're just angry, like angry at the world. Yeah. Still yeah. angry. Still yeah. very, very, oh, yeah. very angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, less of a bully. <laughs> I was only angry on the ice because he, he learned about Homer, he learned about Homeric epics, and now and then he became a changed person. He just didn't want to bully want people to, as much. When you said I was only angry on the ice, my brain went to a cutaway where we see a flashback where you are stabbing people with your ice skates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Happy Gilmore I mean, re- style. I mean, just, really, just yeah, short yeah. of that. Honestly, yeah. there's like a ten year trajectory where we see you go to prison, and we see <laughs> because was, you know what? Because you're four six and a half. On the ice, I might as well have been like relative to <laughs> yeah. relative yeah. to to big and small. I was the small guy, so I was yeah. like feistiness through the roof. You were very like don't act with the small dog. That's right. Yeah. That's right. be a little bit crazy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You know, when it comes to the, the Tourette's and the OCD, um, what are the things that you do in order to manage those, um, those things, you know, like, do you, are, do you take medications? Do you, do you, do you see, do you like, do you have therapy regularly? Are there clinics that you go to? Like what are the things that people might not really know or understand when it comes to managing a, uh, a disability like that, like that, or like those? So there's kind of two sides to that. There's managing the symptoms of Tourette's and like, while I own it and like, that's kind of a mix of like, it's always going to be a part of my life, but if it's hurting, I need to do something about it. Yeah. And then there's managing my mental health because if I am in a bad place, I'm not going to ask for help if Tourette's gets worse. I'm not going to take care of myself. So I have a team. I have a team that I work with. I have a neurologist who I'm obsessed with. Um, he is this like nerdy, incredible dude. Um, meds really weren't great for me. Uh, some people they're great for me. It was just side effect after side effect. I gained Mm. as a kid on meds, I gained like 120 pounds in two years, um, on all of the meds they just kept piling on. And so I 
am not on meds. However, I get Botox for Tourette's, which is great. Um, hmm. It's been life changing. I get it in my hands and my arms. Like, are these not the youngest hands you've ever seen? Oh my Whoa. god, they're so supple. Is that because of like? Is that because of like of um, the way that you the way that you tick in those places? Yeah. So I could I wasn't able to hold a pen or pencil for like twenty years of my life oh, because wow. my hands were so ticky. Um, and the Botox going, really the arms are what's incredible. Uh, we, it sucks getting those shots. We go deep into the muscle, but oh. it kind of calms the muscles down. No um, and yeah. for the first, since starting this three years ago, I can pick up a pen. Like wow. hugely were, life-changing for me. Were, were you one of those no kids idea who, that that was a, that was a form of treatment for, uh, oh. for Tourette's. That's so fascinating. I sorry, also get sorry, it around my eyes. Um, because my eyes are often what's ticking. And although I don't mind the way other people perceive it, uh, I wasn't able to read a book for a long time. And I started having vision issues because of how hard I was ticking my eyes. Oh my so goodness. Wow. I also get Botox around uh, under my eyes, in my eyelids, which I made the mistake of asking my neurologist if he slipped, would it go into my eyeball? And he <laughs> gave me too honest of an answer. Oh, wow. Um, and then a few times ago, I was at my neurologist and I'm in my 30s. So I said, I also tick right here. Right yeah. between those, right between those. <laughs> and he said, do you my, really, Pam? And I said, uh-huh, right here. My T-zone ticks. <laughs> Just get me right in my T-zone, please. Oh, so I also get a free little tune-up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just, uh, I, I, I was just recently going through this, uh, this, like, I don't know, this mysterious fucked up, like, skin thing where I was just, uh, I had an insanely horrible itch all over my body and there was no mm. rash. And uh, they ended up putting me into uh, phototherapy, which is which is literally just a tanning bed, um, and like an ultra and, tanning bed. It's an ultra tanning bed. Uh, when I when I don't get burnt, it's awesome. When I get burnt, it's fucking not. But but there is there is a glow that uh, that I'm kind of like oh yeah. it's gonna be a shame when I have to stop. This. And on Friday afternoon, it's kind of like a lobster glow. <laughs> yeah yeah. 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 That's I'm suddenly itchy too. Did yeah. it? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, God, wow, what's uh, that itch under my chin? <laughs> I, I'm curious, Pam, about the OCD. Like we we've spoken to a number of people with OCD, and and all of their um, sort of it presents in so many different ways, as mm-hmm. Taylor mentioned earlier. Um, for you, what does what does that look like? It's constantly evolving. As a kid, yeah. I was so afraid my family was going to be murdered by uh, an axe murder. Like that was my specific piece. And I was so afraid of fires. And I was up all night as a kid, like smelling carpet in my house to make sure that things were not on fire and, mm. um, you know, all of that. And now it's like, before I go to bed, I've got, I, I've got that managed pretty well through therapy, which by the way, the question of I'm also in occupational therapy because of my hands. Um, I've got a personal trainer because I feel better when I'm strong and Tourette's affects me a little bit less uh, in the way it hurts, not as much as how like in ticking. Mm-hmm. So I've got this like great team in place. I have a dietitian to make sure um, I'm not eating too many processed foods and I focus on protein because that just helps my mental health. So I, I pulled a full team in. Mm-hmm. Um, but OCD at this point is really like anxiety and worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's an ongoing joke that I am anxiety runs the time for me. So I am early everywhere because the thought of being late is just not okay. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I went on a few dates with a guy with OCD and he announced good night to his appliances. So he remembered he turned them off. So he would be like, good night, oven, good night, microwave, good night. And I, and like most people would be like, Ugh. and I was like, oh, that's a great idea. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I, think that's I really cannot. Cute. <laughs> 
I think there is something very Disney about that too. Yeah, yeah. I, love, I, I think that's yeah. so adorable. Yeah, like they're gonna come, like they're gonna come to life, like in um, yeah. Beating the Beast. Yeah, mm-hmm. or uh, that uh, the little toaster. Uh, what was that? What, do you guys remember that? Toaster? That might be that might be a little bit before your time, but there was a little toaster that could like walk and talk. Do you remember that? Pam? Before my time, I we're don't. two years apart. You, yeah, but you guys, there's a, there is the, we are just a couple of years apart, but there is a there is there seemingly like this there was gap a shift in the well, in the, ask, in the things that we watched. Uh, we are all, we're all 18. We're all 18. I'm also 18. This yeah. is fun. Uh, what yeah. are we, 33, 34, 35? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we're all around the same age. Okay. Yeah. You want, or, want to know something? We? Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, it's a spectrum, are, really. It's, we're all across it. This, this, is, this is irrelevant to the podcast, but it's so interesting to say anyway, is that we were sitting around with some friends at dinner the other night. There were seven of us. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. we oh, were... Fuck. Now you're going to say this to someone with OCD. You're going to... Buckle up. Trigger warning here. We were... 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, and 35 years old. At the table. Everybody was a different age in sequential order. And it was so perfect. It made my brain, it felt like there was an itch on my brain that I didn't know that needed to be scratched. Welcome to the OCD scratch. Yeah. I was so afraid you were going to be like, we had 26, 27, 28, 29, 31. I was going to be like, sounds like you have a friend you need to make. (laughs) And now that's your mission. Go out and make that friend, recreate the whole dinner, and then disregard that person as a friend for the rest of your life. I would have been following up with emails to you yeah. being like, listen, I know I'm not a matchmaker, but I've got some friend options for you that hit that age. There's Run a three month out. window before they turn 31. Ooh. So you got to make it happen now. What do you, uh, what would you say? I, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about, uh, you know, about this conversation is just hearing about your, your ability to like find a way to love the hard parts about your life. Um, which I think I think that that's not something that is that is like reserved exclusively for people that are struggling with disability or illness. I think like everybody needs help with that um, at some point in their life, if not, you know, throughout their entire life. Um, what are you know, like, do you have active things or practices that you do on a semi or regular basis to to ensure that you are? you know, focusing on, on, on loving the parts about you that you might have struggled with or that you sometimes view as like a a downfall or. Mm -hmm. So I have a few, um, I think one, like let's remind everyone that therapy is awesome. And I think we should probably all be in it. I think it's okay to sit in the shit. Um, sometimes I want to have a day where I am angry and frustrated and in pain and I kind of give myself permission to like feel the feels and that's okay if I'm going to, you know, get mad and have a day and sit in and watch movies and whatever. And then I try to pull myself back out of it the next day. But I also think there's this like, I don't know if anyone gave me the tool, but like, I'll use the example of when I was young, my dad died and over time, you know, my friends started having parents die and I realized I could almost be like, like a Sherpa. Like I knew what to say because I had been through it. I knew what not to say because I remember how that made me feel. And so I was like, oh, well, I like, it sucks that he died. I hate it. I'm always going to be sad about it. And it's allowed me to connect with Mm. people and be there for people on a different level and, you know, make sure people know that they're not alone. Um, And so I think that's something I'm often doing of like, oh, this hurts and I'm going to let it hurt for as long as I need to let it hurt. Like still hurts that he died. And I'm finding these moments that like, well, that brought me joy. Like, you know, mm. my, my best friend, her dad died. And I like, I 
I knew, like, I knew what to say. Um, mm. I knew what not to say. And, and that was like, a, that was a moment of joy that I was able to find out of a moment of awful. That was one of my favorite things that I learned from my therapist was that instead of the but mentality, it's the and mentality. So it's not, this is um, true, but, you know, minimize it for this reason. It's, this is true and also this is true, which I found to be incredibly mm. helpful. I, I feel like I'm a very, like, black and white thinker, typically, um, but it's it's really hard sometimes to, like, find the nuance in things. I'm a very, like, all or nothing. I'm a worst-case yeah. scenario human. <laughs> yeah. And I, I teach the, the, that what you just said is a tool that I use in my show. Of this, It was from improv, this idea of, like, yes and. Yeah. A yes is, like, an honest acknowledgement of what is. Like, yes, my dad died and I'm going to be able to support other people. It's mm. not, you know, it still sucks and what <laughs> good can come out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Tourette's can be hard and painful and embarrassing and it can add really cool things to my life if I allow it. Mm-hmm. As someone who like also is really, um, I, I love my therapist. She's like the the greatest person in my life that has helped me through so many things. Um, I'm curious about your journey with with uh, therapy in terms of like finding someone that worked. Did it take you a while, or did you find somebody right away? What was that process like? No, it's it's always I'm always struggling with finding the right therapist, and like. I don't know, in the States, aren't when insurance changes, suddenly your therapist isn't covered anymore. And like, I had one I really liked and suddenly my insurance changed and she was $275 an hour. Whoa. And I was like, well, I don't like anyone that much. <laughs> um, it was great knowing you. Bye. Um, <laughs> so there's, I feel like finding a great therapist is like dating. I have so many friends who are like, I tried therapy, I hate it. And I was like, okay, but did you go to one and it wasn't the right fit and yeah. you gave up? Yeah. Um, you gotta like date them. Find mm-hmm. one that works for you. I have totally. one I like right now, but I don't know. That could change. And she's new. I've only had her for a few months. I um, I had a family, like an uncle who I was very close with die like a year and a half ago. And I was like, oh, I'm not in therapy right now because my insurance had changed, all of this. And so I was like, I started with looking for a grief therapist and dated mm-hmm. a few and found one I liked and then mm-hmm. have kept her. Yeah. If, if money wasn't an option, no offense, guys. I love you guys, but I'd probably just like pay a bunch of therapists to be my friends all the time and talk to all different ones all the time and just talk about myself the entire time and let them break down my problems and and uh, that'd be it. Maybe invite them all to dinner together and pay them all to be there and then just talk yeah. about myself. Do you think the evil part of you would start pinning them against yeah. each other to so, see what happens? Definitely. Brian, you know what I think you need to do? 100%. I think you need to talk to your therapist about that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I would say that's uh, probably a very healthy thing to do. Yeah, very healthy, very important, actually. I'm, urgent, really. <laughs> I would literally, urgent. Um, you literally were like, I would give up all of my friends and family just to have 27 therapists. Yeah. And you're like, that yeah. feels like something to unpack. Yeah, yeah. I feel like... Yeah, hmm, that's, uh, that's, have you, has anybody ever said the word... Narcissism to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, to the, to the point of, um, uh, you know, I, I just recently found a new therapist. And the, the one thing that I have, the, the, the one thing that I felt when I went to the first um, appointment with him was this sort of, this sort of uh, overwhelming sense of like, fuck, man, you don't know me. And there's so much that I need to tell you and I don't know where to start. And I think that's probably like a, maybe a common thing, especially for folks who like aren't, are, are maybe new to therapy where like you feel like, oh no, we don't have any background. This is going to be a labor intensive 
sort of prog- process to give you the information that you need so that you can do your job f- with me. Um, and so ha- do you feel that when you go to shift to get a new therapist, like, do you feel that sense or has that, have you been through that sort of like, th- you know, jump through those hoops enough now that every time you find a new therapist, it's like, okay, this is part of, this is part for the course. This is what I have to go through. Like, what would you say to people who feel like, oh, fuck, like, I want, I want to get a new therapist or, or it's time for me to seek a new therapist, but I just don't, I'm afraid of like the work that's going to come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have this <laughs> phrase trauma dumping and like, you don't want to trauma dump on someone. And yet in therapy, that's what they're there for. You got to yeah. kind of do it. And then, but I think something I've given myself kind of agency in my world, in my life is like, I don't have to share everything. When I go on a first date, I don't have to be like, I have Tourette's. I have OCD. My dad is dead. Like I don't have to do that. And so also in a first therapy session, I kind of go in with like, well, there's a reason I needed to come back to therapy right now. There's a reason that brought me here. What do I give her today or him? What do I give my therapist? That's like the beginning amount of information. And I can then feel if we're the right fit based on that and go from there. Because Mm -hmm. I think it was too overwhelming for me to be like, oh, I've got to give this human all of the years of trauma to catch them up. I really wanted to know, like, you know, are they, I didn't want someone who's going to like pity disability, you know, cause that's not how I live my life. I didn't want someone who I, you know, I, there's all of these things that like, I, there were a few things that I knew were key in figuring out is someone the right fit, but that's, mm-hmm. that's like you learn as you go over mm-hmm. time. Yeah, totally. One, one thing that I found helpful that I sort of stumbled into in doing that was, um, I booked, uh, six sessions right away, um, Mm. a week apart. And so I went like six times in a row. And then that way in the first session, I didn't feel like I had to tell everything. Mm. And I I knew that I had some time to like get to those places. Um, and so, and, and then after that, I was able to like, like then, you know, see her every two weeks and then see her every four weeks. And now I'm going every six weeks. Um, and so I, I found that, worked for me, but I also acknowledge that it would be like, if you don't know if it's the right person too, then maybe that's, um, uh, could be a challenge as well. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess like, I guess to that point that, that, that feeling of like, Oh my God, I feel like there's so much that I need to like give to you right now. Uh, I, I mean, like for me personally, I, I felt that, but also I was coming to this therapist in like in, in sort of a, a crisis, you know, like I had left, I had left things, thing, I let things go too far and I was now in crisis. And then when I went to him, it was like, you know, when it was over this hour and a half, I went, holy fuck, I, I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, like I am so sorry that I just dumped so much onto you. And now you have, I just gave you, I just took a puzzle and I just fucking, threw it across the floor and now I'm just li- li- like now I'm letting you try to find the pieces that went under the table and fucking you know like whatever um so That's I guess you know it, it's one of those things that kind of keep in mind it's it's if you if you let things go too far that that sense of over- overwhelming sense of like I have too much to lay out here <laughs> likely comes from that you I know? found so, something that I felt at the end of my first session was uh, this need to like like want to she was like is there anything else you want to talk about today and I was like I want to ask you all about you because I feel <laughs> I feel like I I like I, I just told you all these things about my life but I haven't asked you any questions about yourself which felt really weird at first but um, then I realized that I didn't have to do that um, I'm curious though the for you Pam um, being a 
like a speaker and a storyteller and, and sort of knowing the beats of stories mm. and mm. knowing that you're in therapy for you know, an hour, an hour and a half, however long you're in it, the session for, do you find yourself watching the clock and sort of producing your therapy session and like trying to hit certain like timings and, and beats along the um, hour? <laughs> yes. Um, I had a therapist who hit every clock. Because, like, she knew what I was doing. And I also, like, listen, there's a win when I make a therapist laugh. It's so good. Yeah, um, yeah I, have, I have a I, You know, I always like to be clear, like, I'm not a specialist I in my own therapy. Like, I, mm. I, there's a lot of things I feel really confident in in my world. And I'm still constantly, like, learning and growing and figuring things out and making mistakes. And, um, yeah, absolutely. I, like... It's an ongoing joke that um, I will watch the clock because with two minutes left is when I'll bring up the thing we should have been talking about the whole <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, right, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think that like as a as a performer, I, I went to I went to theater school for university, and like I think you it it a there's there's a there's a benefit there because I feel like if you are in a in therapy or or in anything where you're trying to like share something that you are struggling with or or you know share your own personal sort of story, you, you kind of, I mean, you've, we've been trained to like give that information as a storyteller in, in performance almost. Right. So like it helps you in terms of really getting your message across, mm-hmm. but then there's the part where if it's becoming too, if there's like, if, if, if you let it become too performative, it, it, it almost becomes, uh, you almost lose sense of like what you're actually trying to communicate and it, be- it becomes a fucking show. show. You know? like, and I'm aware in my life of like, who are the people in my life where I'm not performing for? Yeah. I just am. And I like yeah. those are like, I'll know like, okay, it's Saturday night. I've had shows every day for the last 27 days. I just need to be with friends who like, I don't have to think mm. I can just be. And like, I have a small group that I don't have to censor. I don't feel the need to perform. I don't feel the need to make them laugh. I just kind of can exist. Mm. Um, my family mm. that like, but it's kind of a small crew, even like, you know, if I do a weekend gig uh, and the community that booked me wants to take me out to dinner, I am on. That mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. time to relax. I, that's, <clears throat> it's not performance, but you're on. You're on. And yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm always yeah. very aware. We were just at a conference for three days, and like, even though there was so much time spent not actually doing the thing that we were brought to the conference for, you're like, you're like, oh, I've been actually, I actually did not work. I didn't not work. Yeah, for a second. Mm-hmm. You're in a heightened yeah. state. Yeah. yeah. What would you What would you say is the is the biggest thing that um, that Tourette's and OCD has taken away from you? Oh. Um, Tourette's probably anonymity. Right. Like I spent so much of my life barking and making noises that like when years I'd go on the subway, I'd go out to eat. Um, I was a spectacle. And mm. but I would say I focus more on what it has, it has given me. Well, that was my, um, my follow up question, which is what do you what would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? Yeah. So I think like we can all focus on like like, listen, with Tourette's, I'm never I don't drive uh, for a lot of reasons. Tourette's is one of them. Um, I will never be a hot soup server with a movement disorder. There's so many things, right? We could all focus on that. But I'd rather choose. I probably was never going to be a brain surgeon because I was going to be like, sorry about your frontal lobe. I have Tourette's. Um, my B. But I, what it did give me is, I think, a different view on the world, a sense of humor, 
um, I combined the only things I love, which are inclusion, mental health, and I like got degrees in those as well, and like comedy to create this life that I love every day. Mm. I tour. I work with companies and brands that like I follow and have been obsessed with. I get to work with people who I've looked up to my whole life. I um, I think it's made me funnier. I think it allows me to connect with the world in a really powerful, cool way. So it's given me a lot more than it's taken mm. away. Mm. How can people find you, stay up to date with the work that you do? Uh, you know, you're, you're constantly working, you're constantly creating stuff. So how can people who've listened to this and, you know, have absolutely fallen in love with you, how can they find you? Oh, I hope they fell in love with me. Um, <laughs> Instagram is probably the best and it's at Pamela Comedy. My website is Pamela Comedy. Um, and probably I post on Instagram most often, but I'm hoping to come back and do more on YouTube in the next few weeks. And that is also Pamela And Comedy. when do you think you'll be posting more on LinkedIn? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's Brian's preferred preferred. Uh, is that your social media? I do <laughs> post there regularly. <laughs> Pamela Comedy, what a great handle to have got. Oh, that that is good. With you there. That's going that to yeah. be a Once hot Once I realized it wasn't taken, I yeah. scooped it up. It's, my, yeah. it's everything. It's my <laughs> website. It's everything. Yeah. Well, Pam, thank you so much. This has been a real treat to be able to get some insight into your life and, and you know, the, the, the things that have made you who you are. And it's really nice to see that you've been able to take those things that sometimes people find are, are like their, their downfall, but you've taken it and, and really, uh, really owned it. And it's, it's beautiful to see that. We're, we're big fans of people who just own the parts of them that, uh, that are hard. Uh, and and you've you've obviously found some light there, and it's really uh, it's really cool to see. So thank you so much for taking time out your schedule to sit down and chat with us. I loved this. You three are a ton of fun. Thank you for having me. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.